I don't know if you guys have ever been to the hotels in Buffalo, but they're not the nicest places in the world. But, ladies and gentlemen, this is entitled Weekend. And welcome everyone to Entitled Weekend, and the Patriots are in the playoffs. That's right, I said the Patriots are in the playoffs, but I mean, you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it from from the way, you know, fans have been talking about this game. From the time that the we, we Patriots fans knew that it was going to be a that was going to be a possibility to now, <laughs> it, it's just I don't know. I've never seen a more dour atmosphere for a Patriots playoff game. I mean, no one's given them a chance to win, and I understand that. But man, I it just seems it just seems like it's real, real dour. And for I mean, they're talking about benching the quarterback on for the media, dude. I, Jesus fucking Christ, it can't be any more dour than that. So I'm sorry to cut you off. I just <laughs> I've been ready to have an outburst about that all week, and I I couldn't control myself. Well, well, NBC Sports is, you know, that that network is like that's the network of 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 the Three Stooges. I mean, just just put that on a marathon and you'll basically have the same type of content. But Bill, I want to talk about you you had a, a a tweet that actually um gave a lot of people uh some eyebrows and as recently as today we've been talking about this Bills fans don't seem very hyped about this game either, <laughs> at least according to uh, Ticketmaster and StubHub and any other uh, ticket website that you want to find that, you know, there, it's really not much of a sellout. And you know what I would love? I would love if this game was blacked out, you know, because the best fans in America always black out their game, the playoff game. Right. No, this is there's levels of, of absurdity to this. As of about five minutes ago, Shaq, you saw me check my phone, and this is uh, like, you know, 5.20 p.m. on Friday. There were over 2,500 tickets to this game still up for resale on StubHub. 19 hours, 20 hours ago, the Bills posted an advertisement selling tickets on Ticketmaster, direct tickets that had not yet been purchased. It just speaks to what is going on with Bills Mafia here, because there are some great fans. Like I'm not like I'm not here to be the dumpy like, oh my god, you know, every fan of the Bills sucks person. That's stupid. What I but what it does is it's embarrassing to the fans that are like that are diehard that have pushed through to see these other fans that aren't you know willing to bundle up and get out there i saw everything from oh well patriots fans aren't traveling to the game shouldn't they scoop up the tickets as an excuse <laughs> like i'm sorry shouldn't it not be available to patriots player patriots fans to purchase to you know oh it's the covid protocols that have been in existence all year to oh it's just cold where the packers fans and the patriots fans and every other cold market fan would say hey how you doing to this is the perfect excuse to build the dome and all of that just drives me up a tree because what you're seeing is that the Bills Mafia reputation of best fans in football is best social media fans in football. 
And that's where some of them have really begun to rely. What I saw today, and I'm not joking, I was driving, I was out of my house for maybe 45 minutes today. I drove out of my house, first thing I saw, the Patriots buses heading towards the airport. Honking my horn, waving my arm out, because I'm probably the only idiot who knew what that was, because I live down the street from the stadium. And then I keep driving, and I drive by that billboard that says, you know, best fans. And there are two Bills fans at Gillette Stadium two days before the game getting ready to take a picture to post on social media outside of the of the billboard. So you're proud enough to travel to the billboard, but you're not proud enough to travel to the game. And that really, like, there are great fans in every market. That really sat sour with me, especially where it's your first ability to sell out a home game, playoff game in, like, 20 years. Uh, and it's just, and against it, your rivals. And it's against your rivals. Like, I understand Patriots fans having a little less juice for this after 20 years of, like, you're the Super Bowl favorite, and now it's you're not a favorite. Personally, I'm jazzed for this. I'm amped for this game. I'm really excited. I do think the Pats have a good shot to win this one, but we'll talk about, like, game plan later. But the fact that Bills fans aren't as juiced up, and there are diehard ones that are, and I'm not talking about you, it's the social media warrior fans that are out there talking about like, rah, rah, we're going to crush by 50 that are taking their picture by the billboard and not traveling to the game. And that's the, just a microcosm of what Bill's mafia on social media has become as opposed to the fans that are jumping through tables outside of the game and actually attending. And what's really funny about this whole thing is, you know, and Look, the last game, uh, the mothership talked about the last game in detail, so we don't need to harp on that too much. But I don't really take that last game into account. I mean, the way the way the game happened and the way it unfolded was frustrating, just from from every angle, I would say. But and and but there there was a, there was a, a minor a mini comeback in in, in that game as well. So uh, obviously, it was a little too late. But just just the fact of the matter is that here we are in the playoffs, and you know it it, it just seems it just seems as though, and I, and I get what you're saying, Bill. As far as you know, this is where entitlement comes in, because you know for 20 years it's always uh, an expectation. There's always the the feeling that yeah, the Patriots are going to do it. it. It doesn't matter. Let's just watch it happen. What 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 event is going to happen this time that the Patriots will come back from, but I don't know what your problem is if you're not pumped up for this game, because the best part about this is that we don't know. And I think the mystery of, of, you know, whether or not knowing whether or not the Patriots will win is, I think that's the greatest part of it because you have a rookie who is going to be making his first playoff start in, you know, what seemingly well is not an environment he's not used to because he was just in Buffalo what four or five weeks ago, but uh, obviously everybody's talking about the weather and how cold it's going to be and but I think a lot of I think a lot of that and Steve I think a lot of that has to do with uh, I, I don't know it just seems as though and 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 a couple of guys from the Mothership show said this too is that you know. Oh, people make make a big deal about something, and one person says it, and then it it becomes fact. Like Mac Jones isn't very good in cold weather; he's afraid of cold weather. He can't do anything in cold weather. But <laughs> I don't know where that comes from. But I mean, you know, like 
New England isn't isn't I guess New England is California now. I well, I don't really even know if like that's cold weather is really just cold weather. I don't mean like I mean without wind or anything else. It's just cold really that much of an issue on quarterbacks in in 2022 where we're in now i mean it, it think about the, with the hand warmers in their fucking pocket and everything the standing on the heat of the whole set we saw brady do it for years we know how he keeps his hand warm i, I don't know if it's really like that big of an issue anymore because they have ways that they can keep their hands warm that's all that's the only thing it would be is your hands being cold on the ball and your grip but they they change out the balls. They keep the balls warm. They, they keeps his hands warm. It, it's really not that big of a, a deal. And like, I mean, we're talking about, oh my God, can Mac Jones throw in the cold? Josh Allen is part of the Bills fans asking their owner to build them a fucking dome because they're too scared of the fucking cold. Like, uh, it's just, it's stupid. It's nonsense. Absolute, absolute fucking nonsense. Oh, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget Mina Kimes, you know, the mentally seen who, you know, I, you know, she, she, to me, just seems like the saltiest type of Seahawks fan, just hasn't gotten over Super Bowl 49 and just, you know, another, another ESPN, uh, Stooley that just absolutely despises everything Patriots, but um, yeah, it, it, listen, listen, it's like if they want their dome, build their dome, but like you know, go for it, do it, whatever. Also, check the PSI of the balls this game because as oh. I, you know, the mothership hit on that too, I thought wonderfully. But ch- you know, check the PSI on those balls, there's no way they're in regulation throughout the game. Take away the Bills' picks, all of them. It, it's just it's just absurd that we're sitting here talking about, you know, a game that people aren't amped for when there's literally the one of the most unpredictable games ahead in the history of Patriots playoff football. Because you've got the Bills who have been notoriously inconsistent this year, and you've got the Patriots who have shown inconsistency in stretches. So it's like first six games, then seven good ones, then they really struggled down the stretch. What team are you getting from each? Because I think that, you know, Bills fans are really, like, for, on social media, are really confident about, like, the Bills are going to win. And I get that. They played well the last game, but the Patriots also made some self-inflicted wounds that they hadn't made, you know, in a while and that they weren't doing making in the seven-game win streak. When you're looking at it, if the Patriots and the Bills play a perfect game, they both play exactly how they want to, the Bills probably win. They're prob- they're the favored team. They're the home team. They're you know they've probably got the more explosive players. They're likely to win if both teams play exactly how they want to. But that doesn't happen. That's a vacuum. Now it's about who's going to make the least mistakes. If you get Josh Allen from the Atlanta Falcons game, the Patriots win this game. If you get Josh Allen from the New York Jets game, it's close. And then if you get Mac Jones from, say, the 53-13 to 13 Jets win, you're, the Patriots are in good shape. If you get you know Mac Jones early against the Dolphins, that's a trickier situation. So it's like if both play really poorly or both play really well, that's probably advantage Bills. But the truth is going to be somewhere in the middle. And that's what people don't understand when you've got two pretty inconsistent teams 
overall this season, you're going to get an unpredictable matchup where anything could happen. If we were the favorite team, I would not feel as confident as Bills fans are feeling. I understand that they feel like, oh, well, we won the game that wasn't the wind game. Well, yeah, you won the game that the Patriots made more mistakes. The Patriots also could have fumbled five times in that win game and you would have won. But the Patriots played the game they wanted to well enough to win. And if they do that again, the odds are that the Bills won't have played their game in, to the way that they want to. And the Patriots, if they do what they need to do, will win the game. Well, and let's. Oh, go ahead, get Steve. Well, I wanted to say, um, I, Bill, you were saying, you know, if both teams play a per- exactly how they want to, that's impossible because exactly. Bills are playing exactly how they want to play the game, then the Patriots aren't playing the way they want to play the game, which is by screwing up the Bills. Because that's how Belichick is. We know that Belichick wants to make you do what you don't do best. Uh, the cliche, but like it, it's impossible for both teams to play the game exactly how they want to. And that was the tale of the two games. Is Buffalo was able to get a lead and make the Patriots play from behind, which... Unfortunately, they are not built to play from behind. It's not a knock on the team. It's not a knock on the quarterback. It's not a knock on the players. That's how the roster was built for the rookie quarterback. They're built to run the ball, play with the lead, play defense, and make him do enough, make enough, make enough plays to win the game. They're not built to play from behind with with leads like that. Buffalo got a lead early on in the first game. They played the game they wanted to play. It. The first game, the Patriots set the tone. First drive, they played the game exactly how they wanted to play it. And that that's what's going to determine this game. Is Honestly, I, I know it's anything can happen in football. You know, you got to wait till the last minute. This is kind of a game that will be decided early on in which team comes out to play on both sides and how they come out and set the tone for how they want the game to go. I agree to an extent. I do think that there's, um, I do think that the turnover battle matters, matters more than early score. Um, I think that, you know, if, if the Patriots start turning the bills over or vice versa, that's how that game is going to flow. Um, we've seen that a lot in the matchups for the Patriots in general this year. Um, but you know what, I, I think what I was getting at, and you're exactly right. They can't both play perfectly. What I was getting at is that bills fans confidence feels a lot like in, you know, check your bingo card for the entitled weekend feels a lot like Scott Steiner math for a wrestling reference where it's, you know, Oh, they think if both teams play really well, if both teams play really poorly, I feel like the bills win. And then if it's somewhere in the middle, it's a toss up. And that feels like, well, you know, if I'm one of these men and this is one of these men, 33%, 66%, it feels like it's math that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And then becomes this whole like talking yourself into there being no chance that the Patriots win. I've seen people say Bills roll 50 to 10, you know, 33 to 7. That's not the type of game this is going to be regardless of how well or poor either team play. There's going to be physical play. There's going to be swings in this game. There are two, two teams that are not separated by enough talent and skill that they will clearly differentiate and run away from each other like you would with a Jets, a Jaguars, um, a Falcons. Like You're not going to see just talent boil over on this one. It's definitely going to be more a slugfest. And I agree that a big lead early could be detrimental to the pa- you know to the Pats if the Bills start grabbing one. But that turnover battle, is I think what's going to win the day. Yeah, and I want to get to the nitty-gritty because uh, I know, well, first of all, I saw this 
uh, that on social media. And so, you know, everything on social media is true. But the Patriots defense apparently is fourth worst in the NFL in the first quarter and second best in the NFL for the rest of the game. So I know that we we beat this horse to death about the Patriots, you know, feeling feeling the other team during the opening drive. And it happened in the last game. It's happened a lot this season. Um, but I just want to know, how do we avoid the crappy feeling out conservative starts? Because it, it you know, it kind of con- sort of kind of contributes to the lead that off off that these teams get. And, you know, sometimes it becomes a hole that you can't jump out of. So I, I how, 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 are, how can the Patriots, you know, maybe not necessarily start fast, but keep the other team from starting fast? Well, I, I think that's actually a little different this time. On his, I do agree that most of those first drives that they've let up, you know, they turn a lot against a lot of teams. They look bad the first drive. And they, like you said, they kind of felt out the offense. I think this game's a little different in that aspect because it's the third time we've played Buffalo. They they know exactly what Buffalo is gonna try to come out and do. I I think at least I I think in the two games I don't think there's much more in McDermott's fucking playbook. You know what I mean? Um, I I I do think you know that that can still happen, but I, I think there's less of failing out <clears throat> the Buffalo offense in this game because they've gone against them a few times and they have a, they have a much better feel about what they're going to try to do. I, I would agree. I would say that um, they're still script and typically your first like 15 ish plays are your most like scripted. You're feeling confident about those plays. You're feeling like you're going to lead to a lot of success um, and the Patriots like to sort of see that to see what people are running success, you know, what they feel confident in running because that tells them something about the remainder of the game. What I think could be a real issue, you know, what I think could really deter the Bills from going in that direction would be if the Patriots sort of go away from the defer and choose to, ex- if they win the toss, choose to accept the ball. I think the Bills would probably choose to accept the ball as well. I think both teams want to start with the ball, um, the Bills, because they want to get out in front and the Patriots because they want to, you know, obviously they want to get out in front too, but they want to make sure that they are sort of like taking some time off the clock. They're pinning, you know, they're getting into a flow with their offense and they're sort of putting themselves out there early and taking the Bills a little bit out of a rhythm early where they're getting them farther away from warmups. It sounds like a really small thing, but it does matter, I think. And I, I you know, if we're not going to do the double dip, like if Bill's going to be more conservative on that at the end of the first half, which he's been been a lot this season, more conservative on that front. If we're not going to go for the double dip, then at that point, you really should be accepting the ball in this particular game. Other games, I'd totally understand kicking away. I, I 100% agree. I, I absolutely like that mindset. Tate. Even if you don't score in the opening drive, if you get the ball first, even if you don't score, you you set the tone with the running game. You set the tone at the line of scrimmage. You eat a little bit of clock, like you said. Maybe you pin maybe you pin them back a little bit, but like you said, you still take Buffalo out of their rhythm. And which how with how inconsistent Buffalo has been all year, and so the Patriots in stretches, but Buffalo way more so with mm-hmm. how inconsistent they've been all year. 
taking them out of their rhythm early on in their game could could be very important. That could be what makes them play their inconsistent way. Additionally, I'd also add is I think in this game, seeing what the Buffalo defense comes out and tries to do to you early is more important than seeing what the Buffalo offense comes out and tries to do with your defense. You sort like you said, you sort of know what the offense is going to be because like it's much harder to change offensive scheming and design defense you can you, you know you're calling to play to play man zone coverages rolling switching you know false blitzes like you're you're there's a lot more to that that you can blend in and i think seeing what the bills are doing early defensively should be a priority for the patriots my my biggest question is when does the dildo throwing start because i mean they haven't really done that in a while and I, i've been kind of looking looking forward to that you know i don't know maybe maybe you need a, a gronk or somebody like that to throw a dildo but yeah i i mean yeah i i'd love honestly like i'd love to see that <laughs> not but not because i'm like yay dildos i mean that's you know a new sentence i never thought i'd say but <laughs> It's just one of those things that's like I breaking love news. Bill loves dildos. Yep, breaking news. <laughs> Big if true. <laughs> but like, just show some fucking passion. Like, you know, that's the thing. It goes back to the tickets. It goes back to the sort of oh, they're gonna roll. It goes back if you look on StubHub. Also, look at the number of tickets for the following rounds. There's a lot less of those available. And so they're feeling like it, it feels like this is sort of like the rite of passage for the bills to move on in a lot of their eyes. And that might be why some of these tickets are available. It just like show that juice, show some hostility. Like I don't throw the dildo on the field. Like this is the game. Like if you had never done that, if you weren't doing that every regular season game for like a couple of years, this would be the game where that would be like, you know, the fans going crazy because someone do, threw a dildo on the field. It would be like when um, people started throwing snow in Gillette in 2000 and, you know, 2001, 2003, like the toss in it. Like if somebody did that, they would go crazy for a while and it would be like this big thing. But now that you've done it so many times, it's like still show some hostility, but like it's not going to have the same like oomph that it would if, you know, it had been sort of a an original thing or something you saved for big games, like throwing the squid on the ice or, you know, like save it for the big moment or, you know, do it all the time. Yeah, make it your thing. If that's right. your thing, keep 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 going to it. Uh but anyway, my biggest key for this game is first of all, it's a, like you said, uh Steve, it's an elimination game. So in itself, these the two previous matchups have no correlation to this matchup. So that's number one. Two, the Patriots are getting Nelson Aguilar back. And that's in regards to the second Buffalo game. Also, Kendrick Bourne, who didn't practice and entered the entered the second game very late. And but most importantly to me, they get Madre back. And I'm all for the next man up, but this affects the game plan in a big way. Because Damian Harris is a different type of player on a shared workload, maybe around 20 carries or so, especially with his hammy issues that he's been playing with. So I think getting Mondre back also gives you a better chance of gives you a better Harris and a bit much better chance to game plan and into the team strength, which, which is running and on defense, they're getting a uh, high tower back. I mean, he of, of retirement, and I guess he's collecting AARP checks or something. I mean, he's definitely not the same player that he was two years ago, and he's had his ups and downs, but there's no doubt how important a player he is 
for the way that this defense operates. And especially in the way that they design personnel packages and you cannot deny his leadership on the field. And, you know, Brian Baldinger and others have made that point perfectly clear. And, you know, I just don't, I don't want to see Jamie Collins playing inside linebacker again. Uh, love you, Jamie, but I'm just saying. And uh, another key on defense for me is not so much Barmore. I mean, as great as he was, they have other options there, but Duggar's availability. And uh, we've been monitoring that all week and he's been limited in practice for, for I believe the majority of this week. Uh, I think today he was limited too. So if he, if he is still limited, I think that bodes well for him to play. And I think if he can go and at least close to a hundred percent, I, I feel really, really good. And that is amazing to say that for a, a second year guy and that he, and they're very thin at defensive back and in both the run and pass game, he's key. And, and the last thing I have is maybe slot cornerback. I know miles Bryant, he's had some great moments, but you know, there was some matchup liability issues with him as far as Tennessee and Buffalo, uh, so that's something that needs to be fixed. So those are the things that I'll be monitoring. And well, I guess I guess one more thing, special teams. Uh, we can't talk about a Bill Belichick team without talking about special teams because uh, that, I have to say, has been my biggest disappointment. Um, and I, it's shocking for me to be saying that, but it's true. Except for Nick Folk, I think everything else has just been out of whack this season. And especially December to January, it might might have been the worst stretch of special teams play I think I've seen from the Patriots. Um, you can't play complimentary football without that. So that's an under the radar issue that I want to want to see. Hopefully, Saint Matthew, you know, gets the guys together and they, they can step up. So th- those are my, uh, I guess, my principal thoughts. What do you guys think? I 100% agree on all of those. And I mean, with how disappointing the special teams have been, like you said, wouldn't mind seeing Joe Judge back. (laughs) I'd I'd take Joe Judge back as a special teams coach. Fuck it. I'd take him back. I'd take him back on that staff in that role. Yeah, I mean, the special teams have been disappointing and specifically disappointing during the spells in which the Patriots have struggled. That's been a really, like, they were really good during that seven-game stretch. They were real good during a lot of that stretch. And what you're seeing is you had key missed field goals, penalties on special teams, you had all sorts of stuff, even folk as good as he had been, you know, obviously looking back at specifically that Buccaneers game, just doinking the post, like, you know, and that's out of his control. Like, you know, he may, he put a good kick on it. He just didn't have the, the, the right leg for the conditions. And I, thought that that's, was in. I know, but what you're talking about is like <laughs> the special teams, everyone's like, ah, oh, it's special teams. It's the third piece. It's this, you know, people underestimate it. If you notice what unit has been playing well during the games they've won and not as well during the games they've lost, it's been oftentimes special teams. Um, so I think that's a huge component. Obviously, you're not getting Joe Judge back before this game. I would, you know, I'd well, be fine can, with Joe well, Judge can we get, back. Can we get Greg Bedard back? I mean, since he thinks special teams doesn't matter. I mean, oh, you know, gr- he he might as well be a part of the team. You know, since well, I mean, did, did, you guys, did you guys see that that Greg um so Greg claims that. His articles have been shown to players, <laughs> like players, to, 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 get, to give the motivation. <laughs> He's a no. motivator. Four games. Uh, <laughs> this, 
Yeah. So no, I, I got to wonder if uh, do they, have they played Greg Bedard's podcast in the locker room for Matthew Judon? Oh, I'm and sure. Kristen Barmore, definitely. And, and Barmore. yeah, <laughs> yeah, bar, yeah, the Barmore stuff. <clears throat> but yeah, Greg's an asshole. Um, but going back to, to things to look for for this game, I think more so than other games, and not because he's like a really strong wide receiver. How do they defend Diggs? Will tell me a lot about what they're planning to do because they defended Diggs on one with J.C. Jackson when they had Mills, and. Obviously, JC didn't do as well as he had in other games. He digs definitely got his in that game. Um, and so I'm wondering if the equation changes not having Mills on the other side. And if instead they try to cover digs with, um, you know, the opposite side corner from JC and they use safety help. And so it's essentially a double cover when they go into man coverages. Um, and then they have JC covering the number two, especially if you have Duggar back and Duggar can be on Knox. It gives you sort like that's a different style of you know defense that the Bills hadn't encountered with the Patriots in either of these first two matchups, um, and so I really wonder if that like if that's going to be a potential change they might look at um, with the with the way that the team is constructed roster wise right now as well as dig success against JC. Um, so that will be an interesting sort of you know development. I know the Pats have been doing a lot more zone lately, so it might not have the impact that. I expect it to, but if they do swap to more man during this, I would anticipate there being opportunities where um, it's going to be the opposite corner from JC covering um, digs with safety help in a double coverage situation. Yeah. So oh, needless to say, um, I'm pumped for this game. I'm excited for it. The And this is going to lead into the next uh, pseudo topic um, the fact that I'm pumped for this game and the fact that I had no expectations going into this season. And and mainly because, you know, the way the season started, I'm, I'm, I'm going to re- rewind back to March before the draft. You know, Cam Newton was the, was the uh, quarterback. And, you know, and I was hoping upon hope that Cam would improve from last season, which was abysmal. And, you know, and then April comes and then the Patriots get Mac Jones. And, you know, I had a friend who uh, you guys know, uh, Jared, who was, you know, really bullish on Mac Jones. And I, 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 I would listen to him and I would be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But, you know, he was really bullish on Mac Jones. And I started watching and paying attention to him. And I was like, well, this guy seems like he's a type of quarterback that Bill Belichick could mold into something. I don't know what it would be, but it would be something. But, and now, uh, and then going into the season, I was like, well, you know what? If I know, I'm not expecting Mac Jones to be Tom Brady. And I think that's where I want to start with the expectations point of this. uh, Because I think (laughs) Patriots fans for, for a lot, for reasons I don't understand, want Mac Jones to be, or to do things like Tom Brady did them. And that's just impossible because there will never be a Tom Brady. So I think, um, where do you guys stand on, on, on the Matt Jones and the franchise quarterback type of thing? Because for me, um, if I had to put a rating uh, one to 10, I would say the, I would say eight. And I, the reason why I wouldn't say 10 is because he's a rookie 
and I'm not expecting a rookie to to you know go the Andrew Luck or Cam Newton route and explode and 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 you know throw for 50 touchdowns. He did what he was asked to do. He did it well. He's emerged as a leader on the team. The players, even the new players who come into the locker room, they like him a lot. So I, I, I'm, I'm excited for the future. What about you guys? I don't, I don't think that it's understating it to say that Bill Belichick and his comments on Mac Jones specifically recently about how he's a very consistent rookie. He's a very, you know, he's a very polished rookie and the comments from his teammates about how much they admire him, the response the offensive line had in the last Buffalo game. I mean, you're talking about just example after example of players saying, this is somebody that we see a lot in. This is somebody we respect. We trust to lead our team. So when I'm talking about like what's the potential for him on one to ten, like I'm similar, eight or nine, you know. Now, you know, Tom Brady's a fifty on that scale. People need to understand what the scale is. Like, scale is do you think this player could lead you to a Super Bowl? People always think like, oh, Patrick Mahomes is gonna win five. Patrick Mahomes may never win another Super Bowl. He could win five, but he might never win another one. And you need to understand that. But like there was an assessment at a certain point where it's could Patrick Mahomes lead us to a Super Bowl? Yes. And that's your your sort of like branch decision tree. And that's going back to what we talked about a few weeks ago with Baker Mayfield. The answer to me on that one is no. Can Baker Mayfield lead a team to a Super Bowl is no. Do I, So do I want Baker Mayfield to be leading my team? No. So looking at it over and over, you really want to take into account, do you feel like based on what you've seen from year one, expecting there to be progress and development, do you expect to see this be a player that develops into somebody who can lead you to a Super Bowl. Since he's already got us in the playoffs, was contending for the division and can get hot. And, you know, like, let's not rule out the potential that they could go on a run and win it this year. But they, absolutely, Mac Jones is a quarterback that I can see potential to win a Super Bowl with and is somebody I'd want to see lead our team. Currently, I'd want to see him lead it for the next 10, 15 years because that probably means that he's led us to deep postseason runs. Yeah, I I hundred percent agree. Um, with all that, I'd I'd say eight eight and nine is probably where I'd put it right now. And I mean, like, really, the, there's no reason to not be excited about the future with with this kid. I mean, now that you have this team around him all, all, for his entire rookie contract before you have to pay him, um, his his efficiency is. Some of some of the ball placement that he has on some of the tougher throws to make in the NFL is just scary good. The the footwork in the pocket, the the timing, the the mechanics, every and he is he's he is like a Belichick. He is like a classic Belichick guy. It's when you hear him talk to the media, it's like it's almost like they made this fucking kid in a lap. Like it, it's almost like Bill Belichick and Saban, like just come how somehow came up with a way to do that. Right. But I, I, I mean, I the the sky's the limit, really. They did one of those uh, "It's Alive" Frankenstein things, like my masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're even seeing the deep ball develop. Look at last game, even though they were trailing and coming from behind, and the other team knew you were throwing deep. 
They knew you were throwing. You, they knew you needed chunk yardage. That ball to Henry was only where Henry could get it. That ball to Myers was only where Myers could get it. Those were two fantastic deep balls for a kid who has been mm-hmm. questioned on his ability to push the ball down the field this season. Do I think that that will improve as you know the years go along as he gets into a weight room and a full offseason strength and conditioning program? Absolutely. Do I think he still has great touch on that right now? Yeah. And some of those touch passes that he has, especially the wheel route to running backs, is, yeah, his, are, are, are some of the his prettiest. Great, he's, great, he's great on that wheel route. The touch that he has on some of those passes and, you know, people like to think deep passing is always 30, 40 yards down the field, 15, 20 yard in the air passes are deep balls. And he's been firing some of those in more recently as well. I'm, you know, you're seeing the development of a young quarterback and that gets back to, you know, sort of expectations this year. We're playing with house money. People thought this was a team that might sneak in the playoffs, might not. I'll give people some latitude on, you know, saying that they weren't good or, you know, they shot the target and everything else. But, you know, no one expected them to be in the position where they were competing for the division. No one expected them to be in the position that they were in. And uh, certainly no Especially one expected them. Especially not starting them... two and four. Right. Not starting two and four. And, you know, that it just – it just puts them in a fantastic position to get Mac Jones some playoff environment experience, even if it's one game. They lose this week. Season is a success. This is a red shirt year. You've heard McDaniel say it about Smith, not just about Mac Jones, but about getting people acclimated to the offense. That there are people that this year they were talking more about it as a red shirt year because they're not expecting to be where they are currently. And now they can unleash some things. They can try some things. But Belichick knows he's playing with house money too. And a, a Belichick who knows that he's just like the world is open to him. There's no like, you know, no ceiling. There's no floor. There's only ceiling <laughs> from here is exceptional. Like I'm excited to see what they roll out. Josh Listen, McDaniels a, is going to bring the Belichick wearing a danger zone shirt <laughs> Like, is a like, man you do not want to fuck with. Right? Like, and they might not, like, they might not win. Like, I'm not saying that means, oh, slam, auto win because they wore the Danger Zone shirt. But Belichick knows that they're fucking around. They're going to fuck around and find out in these playoffs because, like, he has nothing to lose. McDaniels opens up the playbook. This is going to be an exceptionally fun game for Patriots fans to watch. And if they mm-hmm. win, all the confidence in the world all of a sudden. I, I swear if, you guys. If, 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 if we win. All the confidence in the world for the Patriots, and you have successfully destroyed the heart and soul of every Bills fan in the world. I swear you guys are in my head. I really do. Because all, all if they just win one playoff game and then lose next week, but that one win is knocking Buffalo off, I'm exceptionally happy. Exceptionally yeah. happy. Making the playoffs was unexpected for Year one of a rebuild with a rookie quarterback. So, but if they do get that win, it most likely means that week two is a game against the Titans, who they definitely have a shot at. So, it's not totally unlikely that an AFC championship game is is in the works. But again, that one win would just be amazing. Oh my God! Now you're getting me. Now you're getting me fired up for an AFC championship game. Right. I mean, it. It's. it's distinctly possible that they could get hot. Like we said, from the very get go, this is a team that could beat anybody. They're also a team that could lose to most anybody left. And uh, when, when we close out, uh, I'm going to play uh, uh, 
the the laments of a team that isn't in the playoffs. Uh, but you know, because they had to Thanos they were their way of, of beating the Patriots and putting up a banner in ten. <laughs> so I'll, I'll play that congrats at the end on of the, the show. Are you saying congrats on a week fifteen Super Bowl? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> Excellent. Love oh it. my god. Love it. They they were really crying on hard times <laughs> in season, so you'll hear that at the end of the show. Um but oh. yeah. I, I want to finish on that Mac point and you, Bill, you made a, a an excellent point about, uh, and I've heard this criticism about Mac Jones from, uh, well, from, well, from ex WCVB employee, Chris Gasper, uh, you know, he of, of not, of not even channel five anymore, um, that he doesn't have a comeback gene that he, he hasn't come back. But the thing is he actually has come back several times already that I can think of, but uh, on on one occasion or another, the team falls short, and often it was the defense who let them down, and it really had nothing to do with him. There are about three games I can think of this year that I will 100% say without a doubt in my mind, if the defense gets him one more stop late in the game, he is going out and winning the fucking game. Last week against Miami, against the Colts, even against the Saints. Against the Saints, he's scrambling them back into a game that they had no business being in because of how poorly they played. They got one more stop there. He was winning that game. Against the Colts, they couldn't stop him in the fourth quarter. They couldn't. No, he, get, was, the best, he was the best player on the field in the fourth quarter. You... Until Jonathan Taylor breaks off that run. Mm-hmm. You Absolutely. get that stop. And you get that stop. Mac Jones is winning that fucking game. Oh, I agree. You look at you look at Miami last week. They could not stop him in the fourth quarter. They couldn't fucking stop him. He, I mean, like you said, the, the deep ball, all of a sudden, he was launching per- great placement down the field. So went right down the field on them when they knew that's where he was going. I they they get one more stop. There's no doubt in my mind, he's winning that game. Miami they get one more stop. Miami didn't have a prayer to win it. Yeah, I would just add that regardless, there are victories to take, and this is not like moral victory territory. Like I am. I, I have to be consistent. I said that the Bills, you know, coming back and losing in overtime against the Bu- the Buccaneers was not a moral victory. This is not moral victory. What I'm, but what it does is it gives the Bills just a little more something that they have to look at during the week. All of a sudden, they've got to look at Mac Jones pushing the ball down the field, and they haven't. We haven't put a lot of that on tape this year. All of a sudden, that's on tape. And it's just another something that they have to account for and that they have to game plan for and that they have to work their defense to be aware of. And it just makes planning for the Patriots a little more complicated. So even with us, and you know, it will change the proceeding if we had one, we're talking about playing the Bengals this week. But, you know, we're in a position that it's, I, I think that just puts a little bit extra on the, onto the plate for Buffalo to game plan with. And I think that's nothing but a good thing for the Patriots to take out of that game. And the fact that Mac has sort of, you know, he does have like a Mac mode where he, he activates and he goes and he, he plays mode. real. He, he does. He has, he has that switch, you know, Gasper might not see it, but he has that switch. 
and he yeah, played he, really he well. Has, in those he moments. has that switch to semi-automatic. I, I I get it. Yeah, and like, that's like a like a Mac Ten. Exactly, and so we're not. <laughs> We're not in a position, you know, we're not in a position where it's like, you know, it's not, you know, steely eyed, pissed off Brady mode, but it's, it's definitely something that he has. And that if he is continuing to develop, as we've talked about, you're going to see that bubble to the top and those close losses are going to become wins because the mitigated mistakes early will make those moments where he does turn that up more successful at getting us a lead and just asking for somebody to hold against a touchdown or a field goal, as opposed to getting that one more stop. hundred percent. Exactly. So um, I want to go to a topic that uh, thanks to Scarcy from the, from the mothership. Um, he let us borrow or we'll take pretty much. Uh, and I, and I want to talk about this because, you know, it was black Monday slash Tuesday and, you know, a lot of coaches were fired. But surprisingly, uh, Brian Flores of the Dolphins, well, formerly of the Dolphins, was fired for some inexplicable reason. But uh, thank you, Stephen Ross, for being your, being the fucking idiot you are, because that only helps the Patriots, because Brian Flores, you know, uh, really had a good thing going, or at least it seemed. So uh, thank you for doing that. But really, I want to get into... Uh, the the portion of of this that uh, where uh, Gerard Mayo and the Patriots assistant coaches come in, and you know there there is a lot that that this entails. But really, when Brian Flores was fired, uh, of course Albert Breer, and I'm going to talk about him again in a moment. Uh, he he and you know all his media cores was having a, were having a field day, you know celebrating. Oh, there are no more Belichick assistant coaches anymore. You know, but just putting that tweet out vaguely to to make people assume that, you know, all Belichick assistant coaches are terrible because I guess Bill Belichick is also terrible. But obviously, that's not true. Uh, there's only one Bill Belichick, just like there's only one Tom Brady. There will all, uh, only be one Bill Belichick. And well, it's all, all I have to say with that is, if all these, if anything, doesn't it just make Belichick look better if all the other assistant coaches that he had sucked? If you're that beating that horse, but all these other Belichick coaches suck. Okay, well, so that just means Belichick's even better then. What are you getting at? And, <laughs> I, love, and I love this, and I love this tweet from My Sports Update, you know, very, very vague Twitter account there. Um, they put out the list of all of Belichick's coaching trees over the years. Joe Judge, two years. Brian Flores, three years. Matt Patricia, three years. Bill O'Brien, seven years. Josh McDaniels, two years. Romeo Cornell, four years. Eric Mangini, three three years and two years in the Jets in Cleveland. Nick Saban, two years. But what do all those organizations have in common? Uh, they all suck. <laughs> they, they're all terrible. <laughs> you know, and, and then... Yeah, incompetent ownership. And then they add they add on to the fact that Nick Saban's the last on the list. You know, Nick Saban, only the most decorated college football head coach of our generation. <laughs> you know, right. no success in his no success for his for his part. 
No, and I mean, I love that that scene is some level of diss when it's like, you know, you've got the shit franchises that are taking these people, but Bill O'Brien lasted seven years in Houston. I, I haven't looked it up, so this could be an, a totally incorrect take. That's very likely the longest tenured head coach in the history of the Houston Texans since they've only been around <laughs> since 2000. So let's call a spade a spade there. Then we're going to get Eric Mangini, who Belichick told by all reports when people talk about the fallout that he wasn't ready to be a head coach. You don't get to count him as the double failure when Belichick himself said, you aren't ready. Don't go to that opportunity. Don't do that. And so you don't get to play that game with them. Romeo Cornell was a well-established coordinator and coach before he was the, you know, DC for the Pats. Like, this is, you know, like he's on the tree, but like Belichick didn't develop him. If you're counting him, then you should be counting Vrabel. And that's like that dichotomy, you know, you, at that point, you I should be don't understand Vrabel. how they don't count Mike Vrabel when they do the Belichick coaching tree. Because they it doesn't help the narrative. Yeah. It they they, they right. beat over the horse that Mike Vrabel, they want, but they love Mike Vrabel as a coach. They think Mike Vrabel is a fantastic coach. Right. But it's the well, same thing. Well, as not he literally him. learned everything he fucking knows from Belichick. Right. You think he, why do you think he's a coach? Because he played for Belichick. Yeah, it's and here's the thing: the people like if people recognize that like if you played for Belichick or if you learned from Belichick as a player, you might be a better coach. Then people are going to start to scoop up those player players who are now coaches that formerly went under Belichick. Like, you know, um, you know, Kingsbury is very complimentary of Belichick, and you know has seemed to do fairly well in Arizona thus far. Um, Gerard Mayo is being talked about as a very hot head coaching commodity. Please don't go to Houston. Don't go to Houston, Gerard Mayo. Do you think Gerard Mayo is getting head coaching interviews if he if he was a player if he wasn't a Bill Belichick linebacker? If if he played for any other coach, and I, I mean good player. Not 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 great. He, you know, not Hall of Fame player. But if he played for any other coach in the history of the league, do you think he'd be getting calls like this for head coaching interviews? Probably not, because I can't think of it. That's what they're looking at him for. What does he know that Belichick knew? Right. And it's, I, I would say that, you know, he would once he got a DC title and had a couple of years yes, under his belt. Yes, I think, like, but not, it's, but not, it's not, not just as a couple of years with defensive assistants. Right. You're, you're talking. You don't yeah, even know what his role yet. is. Right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's fair. I think that's fair. But it's. Well, it's I, this, well can I, well, can I say, well, I'm sorry, Bill. No, please can go. I just, say that, um, I just think that he's an intriguing candidate. Um, and I, I, I'd be sorry to lose him because he, he was one of my favorite players of that of that era of the Patriots defense. I he never really gets credit for his play in that defense. I know he wasn't. Oh, I love Gerard Mayo. Yeah, I know he wasn't like a super super duper star, especially for where he was drafted. But I loved him. He was a, a rock after he was right after that Teddy Bruschi uh, yep. form of linebackers. And he, he, he filled right. He stepped so right then, into the role. They they didn't miss a beat at that yep. position. But um, went, and then they went right from they went from Bruschi to Gerard Mayo to Dante Hightower. They just really didn't miss a beat the middle linebacker position for like twenty years. I thought Belichick couldn't draft. Oh well, that's obvious. 
yeah but uh, but um the reason i think mayo is is being asked with all these things well first of all you know quota you know because that's how it is with, with all these all these all these teams please don't go to houston don't go to houston gerard um but i think mainly is because players respect him and because he was a, a leader as a player and a leader as a coach obviously he has defensive coaching chops but he only knows the offense through the defensive lens. So um, ideally, like you said, he needs a little bit more seasoning on, on the Sazon as a coach and some exposure definitely to the offensive side too. But sometimes I guess you can't wait on the ideal time to pick a raw but talented coaching candidate because other teams might pounce before you do. So mm-hmm. if he interviews, and I think he'll do well because, again, he's very well liked by, by the defense. Um, I'd give him a chance, but you know, <laughs> again, don't go to Houston. They're they're dysfunctional. Right. I mean, the biggest compliment that Bill Belichick's tree gets is the fact that people keep going back to it. It's yep. why if this is poison fruit, why do you keep going to the tree? And don't tell me just like it's Belichick. No, 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 no. I've heard plenty of people say Belichick is you know not overrated, but I've heard Bel- like people say all this about the tree, and then the teams keep going back to it, and it's just like and even when they're not going to the tree, they're going to players that played for him. They're going to Kevin O'Connell. They're going to you know Mike Grable. They're going to people who have been influenced by Bill Belichick continue to get these opportunities. How many special teams coordinators get a head coaching job? Straight from special teams coordinator to, you know, head coach. Not many. And did it work for the Giants? No, because the Giants can't pick a coach since Coughlin. But it's, you know, that's not, you know, but they keep going back because there's something about the way Belichick manages his team that people want to replicate. They want to learn the system. The system that we hear has is fully responsible Define for everything. the system. Yep. The system is responsible for everything, and yet somehow no one has figured this out in 20 years, even people who have been part of the system for 20 years. And so, so it, it's, it's this magical world that we live in. But I, I think that the biggest compliment that Belichick's tree gets is that people keep going back because they know there's good fruit on it. You might not find the good fruit, but you keep going back. And there are teams that double dip and go multiple times into the Belichick tree trying to find that the good fruit that's there. What I don't understand is why are why do you know why do people blame Melichek for other coaches' decisions? Like it, it, I've never heard of another coach being blamed for other coaches choosing to <laughs> to mold their their own team's philosophy in a certain way. That's how is that on him? Like he it, he, it, he only does it for his team. It's yeah, hubris. The, the arrogance. It's the, it's the arrogance of Belichick because he brings in the nobody from the mining and technology college that is now a hot offensive coordinator candidate that was left sort of in the lurch in Miami, and people are interested in bringing into other teams. But you know, because he went to you know East Greenwich Mining and Technology School for you know acupuncture. They're like, no, no, he can't possibly be a good coach because Belichick must have found the same thing. Kyle Duggar can't be a good player because he went to Division Two McDonald's University. Like, no, this is – there can be good quality players and coaches from all levels. You're just mad that you don't have the sort of aura that you're not going to get fired if you pick that guy or if you hire that guy and he doesn't pan out. You're mad you're not given that latitude because you haven't earned it because you're not Bill Belichick. Yeah, Lenore Ryan wasn't a college, you know, that, you know, that wasn't on everybody's lists, but right. it was on his. Not everybody could draft a second round pick from Lenore Ryan 
and get away with it. The Cowboys were going to pick him, but it's because Jerry Jones liked him, not because the coach did. The, there were plenty. There were other teams that would have picked him, and I guarantee you, it's teams of established coaches that could survive the risk if that didn't pan out. Tomlin, Harbaugh, Jerry Jones, because he likes him and is the owner. Bill Belichick, and there's probably one or two other names on that list that would pick a player from a Division II school in the second round and get away, sort of get away with it if it didn't pan out. And those are the only. That's why those coaches will be successful because they can take those risks, and often they are rewarded because they find and identify good talent and take the effective risk at the right time. And so people are jealous that, you know, Sean McVay is jealous. He doesn't have that yet. You know, he might at this point, but you get what I mean. Like Dan Campbell couldn't make that pick in the second round, not have it pan out and live to tell a tale as coach of the lions just wouldn't happen. And and by the way, this wouldn't be an entitled weekend podcast. If I didn't talk about the idiocy that is Albert Breer, um, uh, you know, and then he puts a list up uh, saying, I will say this, there's a strong list of black head coaching candidates this year. Among them, Brian Flores, Raheem Morris, Leslie Frazier, Todd Bowles, Gerard Mayo, D'Amico Ryans, eight openings. We'll see. I mean, <laughs> he doesn't know how tone deaf this is, but it's just, it's just so terrible because, you know, this is, this is basically a, a normal tweet that he does, but it's just so tone deaf in the fact that, hey, here's a list of black guys, hire them. <laughs> like, dude, it's just, it's just, it's just so sad. It really is. It, it's, it's just big, like, it, it, it's big performative, you know, performative equity vibes where it's like, oh, yeah, look, I've got this whole list of black people that I would like to see. As a <laughs> I, it's like, that's, it's, it, it's, the, it's the, I have black friends tweet. It's like his version of I have black friends. Right. And that's it's pathetic. Like what you could do is say these are quality head coaching candidates and list all the quality head coaching candidates. And like you know, some of them aren't even see. Here's my thing with the two: is that some of those guys aren't even quality head coaching candidates. Definitely not. Like, Leslie, Le- Le- like Le- Leslie Frazier is not really a quality head coaching candidate to me. I know it's late. All I want. I, I, and, and, and I don't, I don't mean that because he's Frazier. he's a black guy. I just mean that because I don't think he's a good coach. No, he's not. A, a, he's a, not. a, good, a good head coach, at least. <laughs> no, Frazier. All I want for Christmas, I know it's late, is Leslie Frazier to be the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Please do it. Please do it, please. Because that would be the worst decision you could possibly make. It reminds me there was another another recent tweet of like, who should be the next James Bond? And literally, one column was all the black guys and one column was all the white guys. And it was okay, like, I, I, what are I, you I, doing? We, that's we, what, we, that's we the vibe I even, We shouldn't even get me going on that post of who should be the next James Bond because there was like <laughs> three good options on it. And the rest of them were like just laughable. But the segregated columns was probably the oh, worst so thing bad. I've seen in a tweet like that in a long time. And that's the vibe I got. From, well, then know, that's from like, the well, and that's like well, and that's like it. It put it put Michael B. Jordan in there as Bond, and the only reason that you're putting Michael B. Jordan Why in there is that? is because it's a black guy that I'm you not- know does action movies, and you're like, okay, we got to have a column of black of black Bond candidates. I'll be, like I'll you're be, look, not I'll like be, you're just forcing it if you do Michael B. Jordan, right? Like, 
Now, I'll be looking at Killmon- Killmonger as Bond. No, thank you. I'll pass. Really good actor, not James yeah, Bond. Yeah, really good. No, uh, and, and the, the issue with, with, with the tweet is, you, 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 he, you, you all. The coaching is about having offense and being offensive guys, but then that list was nothing but defensive coaches. So if the strongest candidates are defensive minded, and then everyone says that they want offensive minded coaches, well then. Black coaches will continue to be the minority because what do you want? So it, uh, you know, this league is it, it never ceases to amaze exactly. me as far as their media and as far as you know what they claim to want. Well, I just wait for Ian so, Rappaport uh, to tell emails. me if everything's true. Oh, <laughs> big, it's true. Confirmed. Had, had to get a big if true in the episode. Got, got to check that off the bingo board. Now official. Uh, well, 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 we need we need somebody to get a free space, so I'm going to have to describe a gif uh, in the next few minutes here. Uh, we don't have any emails, so we'll just go right into final thoughts. And I'm going to go first this time because I have a final thought about uh, Bill Belichick. And we'll talk about this next week when we uh, – well, we have something in the works for next week, but uh, – I, I want to do an, a, a slight uh, appreciation for Bill Belichick and everything that's going on this season because what I find funny is an artist uses a perfect shade of purple to create beauty. A naive or petty critic attempts to shine the light on whether the blue or the red was most important. And so that's what this the whole fake discussion about Bill versus Brady has become to me. It's 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 never been an either or situation. Every great coach that's had a run of success in every single sport has had great players at key positions. That's part of what defines a great coach, identifying and developing players into greatness. And any attempts from framing this inquiry as an either or situation is an indication that the person that's posing the question doesn't understand how team sport works and how dynasties are built and maintained. And any other attempt to break the overall success into different types of pieces, like uh, Asante Samuel with his, you know, constant tweets about uh, shading Bill Belichick because, well, it's not because, of course, it's Bill Belichick's fault that he dropped uh, an interception that could have possibly uh, done some pretty good things for the Patriots team in 2007. Uh, but any attempt to break its successes to pieces by nature is going to be deceptive in its answer. So if you're willing to cherry pick, that's your choice, but you're doing a disservice not only to the players who have made an effort to win the games for both of those guys, but also both of them in their outsets. So just stop it with this Bill versus Brady crap. It's annoying. Um, (laughs) uh, Bill, your turn. Final thought. All right. So, Shaq, I know you said we didn't get any emails, but I did, in fact, get an email that is, you know, I'm going to answer in this time. So (laughs) allow me to allow me to to read this email and then give you my answer to it. Hi, Bill. You seem really strong and meaty. And while college players are sitting at home on Sundays, you're playing flag football and scoring touchdowns. If the money was right, would you consider signing on to play for the Patriots? Thank you for being my idol, hero, and inspiration. With love, totally not Bill. Well, listen, <laughs> totally not Bill. Listen, totally not Bill. Much like hyper-local advertisers who say that they might take on football jobs, I, too, have been approached previously to join many football teams. 
over many years. And, you know, I'm not sure that they're going to be knocking on my door, but I will tell you that my highlight reels have been used to inspire the likes of Julian Edelman, Randy Moss, Jerry Rice, and other elite athletes to be their best selves. And so I would totally take on that opportunity. I just don't know if it's going to present itself at the right time. So I appreciate your email and your kind words and continue paying $6.99 to be able to send me these warm-hearted messages. (laughs) Thank you very much. I was wondering where that was going, and it didn't disappoint me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I you have to. You have to with something that ridiculous. I had to literally go to the greatest extreme of pantomime and mockery to make that (laughs) mocking of what Bedard tried to pull with that. Oh, he's still pulling it now. Um, go to Ironhead's uh, Twitter account. Oh, I saw uh, Ironhead three thirty four. Now, mm-hmm. now, not only. <laughs> oh God, it's so funny. Not only is he trying to say that he, you know, would have been, you know, he's being looked at by a lot of teams. He's being lightly broached, as, as Scartsy said, but now. He's being fluffed. He's being, you know, they're yeah. gently, they're gently, coaches, they're gently massaging coaches, his trunk and getting them ready. Yeah. Coaches use his stuff as motivation, and then you know the parting personnel guys tells them, "You were tough, but fair." Yeah, so, 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 Bill, in in your in the most complex and funniest way possible, you took my final thoughts. Oh no! <laughs> was to just not listen to anything that Greg Bedard says because this man is telling you that he has been approached on taking front office jobs in the NFL. He can't hold a job at the Las Vegas Review Journal. <laughs> I, it, I mean, and, and then he's saying that Bill Belichick's coaches and Bill Belichick's coaching staff have showed players his article. Like, is it, so is that why you didn't, you didn't take any, co- any GM jobs, Greg? Because you want to stay being motivation to the Patriots? God damn it, dude. He he also thinks he also thinks that is he having like Tangway like fucking write like novelize himself for him (laughs) fan fiction that that yeah he's literally he's literally fucking he's Gary Tangwaying himself Mm -hmm. and and he's asking people to pay six ninety nine or whatever it is a month to to subscribe I think it's more than that dude isn't it yeah I think it's more. I think it's way more, bro. I think it's like thirty nine ninety nine. Listen, I'm gonna stick with. I'm gonna call it sixty nine sixty nine because that's what he's continuing to do to himself. Yeah, if you, you can you you can be a wicked piss of bean eater for sixty nine ninety nine. Oh, and, and you know what? And like, also, I'm not I'm not into fat shaming people. That's not that's not something I do. Oh, I am. But, I'll, I'll fat shame but, him any day. But when when you advertise weight loss products and you don't lose any weight, I'm gonna fat shame the fuck out of you. <laughs> the the before and after is basically inside, outside. That's all it is. Yeah, that's. This is me in this outfit. This is me in that outfit. Listen, my hope for everyone that listens to this podcast is that they find somebody that loves them as much as Greg Bedard loves Greg Bedard. That's I mean, all but- I want in the world. But but he, but but he's not Ter- Terrell Owens. Like I, I love me some me, you know. He's not Terrell Owens. You you can't you can't you can't do that. You're not. You don't have. Uh, I, I'm not going to use the word swag, but you don't have that. No, but if find you a hype man like Greg Bedard has in himself. 
well, hopefully we don't have to hype ourselves up for this game, like I said. So um, enjoy the playoff game tomorrow. Again, it's a playoff game. So, you know, it's win or go home. If it, uh, I'll tell you this. If they win, I'm going to be uh, over the moon. So uh, if until then, you can follow uh, Bill at thefib0624. You can follow the general Steve Reisner at Reisner underscore Steven and go to his uh, uh Media group, uh, oh god, blue, blue collar. You blue can find at uh, blue collar media group and find us uh, at blue collar mg on Twitter and uh, blue collar media group and all those social platforms. And also, while I'm while I'm in the mood for shouting out, uh, I've been meaning to do this for uh, the last eight uh, episodes, but I haven't for some reason. Uh, I want to shout out to Incrediblement 11 at Incrediblement underscore 11. He created our logo, so the logo you see on our our. our Twitter account that's all him so uh, a fist pump to you and also a shout out to Scarcy uh, go to the 15net.com for his uh, sports junk drawers they're always brilliant there's always a surprise or two in there so I recommend you reading those um, so those are that's the best of media uh, the other crap like Bedard and all and NBC Sports uh, I recommend uh, turn those off and also turn off your radio slugs Uh, Shaq's gone. You muted. I think he left, but didn't. No matter what happens, just know this. The love and respect, you know, that we have for each other. Don't let anything ever take that away. You're on a continual journey. We climb the mountain. We shoot to climb it every year. And that never stops. There's an element of this business where we're always going on to get better for the long haul, but then we got to live with the short-term results, and the short-term results right now sting. The thing that can only make that worse is if we don't learn from it and use it for next year. You got We got to know that. We got to believe that, because that's the truth. We all know it's the truth, that we can get better from this year. So we got to ask ourselves, did I take something from this year that will help us next year get back to where we want to get? I know everybody in here can say yes. We'll get there, man. Believe that. It's tough climbing mountain. It's a journey that's tough, right? But we got the right stuff to do it. Just might not have been our year this year. Mm-hmm.